Greetings and welcome to another edition of Witnesses of the King. We're studying the book of Acts and I want to welcome you to this episode where we're going to talk about in Acts chapter 17 some of the adventures of Paul as he further goes on and completes the Great Commission to take the gospel to all nations. And so we're taking a close look at the book of Acts and we're following Paul on what's known as his second missionary journey. Let me show you a close-up of the map that we have. And uh, this map shows his second missionary journey, of course, being commissioned uh, by the church at Antioch. So he had returned from Jerusalem to Antioch, which is on the right-hand side and moving up. And then he begins a trek west across uh, Asia Minor, as we know it today, and then crosses into Europe for the first time, where he comes into uh, Macedonia in a place called Philippi. And today we're going to pick up as he comes to a place called Thessalonica and another called Berea. So that's where we are and that gets you caught up. We're in Acts chapter 17. We're going to start at verse 1 and we're going to go through verse 15 and take a look at what's going on here with the Apostle Paul. So first of all, we want to take a look like this. It says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authority, shouting, These men, who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for bringing us together. And Lord, in this format, we pray that though we be separated by time and distance, Lord, I pray that you indeed will use these words that you have put in your scriptures to move people to faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will encourage and edify your church, that we may be stronger, that we may be those who conquer, those who overcome. 
We thank you, Lord, for your great ministry, for your spirit, for the establishment of the church. And we pray, Lord, that this work continues even through us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this great work that's being done in the world that we're seeing Paul do is really a marvel and a wonderful thing to watch. And as we see Paul go through these things in Thessalonica and Berea, uh, we want to be mindful of some things that are very important. One of the profound beauties of the church is that it continues to operate despite any kind of challenges, either internal or external. We see this in the book of Acts. The church had their own struggles within. They had persecution from without. And we see it is enduring all these things. And as chaotic as it seems with all its ups and downs and the difficulties of of spreading the gospel, of having church together, bringing diverse people into a singular body, despite all these challenges, we're encouraged because these things are going according to plan. We're going to take a pause here in Acts chapter 17 and kind of, you know, step back and take a look. Is this the way it's supposed to be? Is this this the way that it's supposed to be unfolding as Jesus had foretold, as the scriptures foretold? And we're going to be greatly encouraged because we're going to see exactly that. We're going to see that things are going according to plan. The first thing I want to point out to you is simply this, that the scriptures point to Jesus. The scriptures point to Jesus. Let's go look at a few cross-references here. What did Jesus himself say about this particular topic? Well, Jesus himself said this about the the topic, uh, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17, 18. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus made it clear. He not only made it clear that he came to fulfill the scriptures, but in fact the scriptures were about him. Look what he says to the leadership in John 5.39. He says, uh, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. And in one of the most encouraging uh, parts of the Bible, a profound and interesting story is in Luke 24, Jesus meets two of his disciples walking away from Jerusalem after hearing rumors of his resurrection, but not having seen him himself. They're walking away from the city. Jesus comes alongside them, disguises himself, and we have this interchange between them. Uh, He says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets, have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So they'd been talking about his crucifixion. He says, look, why are you so slow to to understand and follow and believe the scriptures? Because this is how it had to be. Now look what it says in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus taught and understood that all of the scriptures pointed to him. Now that's interesting because there's another important fact here is that his word will bring many people to himself. We'll we'll get to that in a moment. Let's go over this a a little more. (laughs) Sorry, getting ahead of myself here. Um, 
scriptures point to Jesus. This is a foundational truth of the church. Look how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, that the church itself is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And how is that done? That's in their writings, the writings of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. And this we see from the very beginning, the very first day of the church as they're gathered together, we have this summary statement concerning them. And it begins with, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Yeah, that's the word doctrine. And I know how much many people don't like doctrine. They say, I don't need doctrine. Just give me the Bible. What do you think the Bible is? And what do you think they were studying there with the apostles teaching? They were studying the apostles and their interpretation of the Old Testament pertaining to Jesus. This is the apostles teaching. And this is foundational to the church. And we see all throughout the book of Acts that the word of God is central and foundational to what they preach. We see it here in the passage that we're dealing with. The fact in chapter 17 here, what does Paul do when he comes into a place like Thessalonica? He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. And so this is his primary raw material. And he uses the same thing in Berea. And he uses the same thing after that in Athens. He is always using the scripture as his raw material. The scriptures point to Jesus. That's why we use it as our raw material for spreading the gospel. The gospel and the good news is all about him. Now further... All the promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. If you've noticed, the Old Testament is a series of promises and covenants that God makes with various people in various times. And all these things have their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, All the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. All these things find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 13, this is uh, what's very clearly part of the content here as they talk about this. We bring you the good news of what God has promised to the Father. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. And it goes on to quote the Old Testament and show and prove that indeed Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. This is a major theme in the book of Hebrews and something that needs to be considered by us. The promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And the offices that God presents to us in the Old Testament all find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Prophet, priest, king, sacrifice, all these recurring elements uh, that we find in the scriptures, they find their ultimate truth and purpose in Jesus Christ. So the scriptures point to Jesus, and that's the first and, and probably the most important thing we need to understand here. But a part of that is this, his word will bring many to faith. There's a great promise on this. Jesus says this in Acts 1.8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And then look where? Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's the outline of the book of Acts, how the gospel proceeds outward from beginning with Jerusalem. But the promise of this is that his word will actually bring many to faith. And look what Jesus says about 
this. He says in uh, Matthew 24, he says the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. This is a prediction of Isaiah 49.6. It's too light a thing that that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations. So his word is going to be preached to all the world. And this is the first point here. His word will go out to all of the world. And indeed, this is the command that we have is to go in and make disciples of all nations. Jesus didn't want us just to pick and choose. Jesus didn't want to be satisfied with just the surrounding nations around Israel or the nations that would tolerate it. No, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. And then many of those people are going to believe. And this is when it becomes a blessing to all nations. Because all the way back in Genesis 12, when God meets or calls Abraham to to be his special chosen nation, he says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is, all the nations shall be blessed. And so this is God's unconditional promise to Abraham here. He had put no stipulations, no conditions upon Abraham at this point. He says all the nations are going to be blessed because of you. Powerfully important truths. And his word is preached then to all the world. And many of those to whom it is preached believe and are blessed. Look at the prediction here from the Psalms, some uh, 700 to 1,000 years before Jesus came. This Psalm says, Nobles shall come from Egypt, Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord. The gospel goes out and becomes a blessing to many. Jesus tells parables to this effect that many who are going to hear this word of God are going to believe. In his famous parable of the sower, the sower sows seed and it falls on various kinds of ground. And on different kinds of ground, it has different reactions. Well, he's speaking of spreading the word of God. That's the seed. He interprets this for us. It's not a guess. And the word of God goes and it finds various ground. And one of those grounds is good soil. He says, as for what was grown on good soil, This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. In other words, the word of God will be received by some and some will come to faith. Now, there were other soils that did not receive the word of God that ultimately did not prove to be faithful. But nevertheless, there's this promise one of those soils is good. So some of this is going to work. And this is why he's able to just boldly say to Peter, on this rock, I'll build my church. Jesus is in the process of building a church and he is going to do it and he will not fail for he has never failed. He is not of the kind that can fail because he is the almighty. Powerful stuff. Many of those uh, who receive this word end up believing. In fact, when Jesus prays for the disciples in John 17, he's not only praying for them, he's praying for those who would believe because of their word. 
In other words, the word of God as it would go forth from them and as it would be passed down in the New Testament, the words of the apostles would bring many to faith. Now, finally, in uh, Revelation chapter 7, we have a glimpse of heaven. We see actually into heaven and what's going on there and what it's like. And one of the elders addressed John as he's receiving this vision saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And John says to him, sir, you know, and he said to John, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. In other words, these people are believing they're coming out of the world, even out of tribulation, even from martyrdom. And nevertheless, they have a faith that is true, that brings them to heaven. This was the plan from the very beginning. And the book of Revelation here is it shows a picture of many things and many of those things are fantastic and we tend to obsess over the great wrath of God that's coming on the planet and the nature of the, the curses and judgments coming upon the planet. And we look at those things, but all the while, what I want you to see next time you read the book of Revelation is that all the while, people are coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. People are coming out of this tribulation into heaven to worship him and enjoy him forever. And this is what we see back here in Acts chapter 17 Paul, in Paul's ministry. We see in chapter 16 some conversions in Philippi and, and great success there and, and trouble there as well. And in Thessalonica and in Berea and on to Athens. And what all these places have in common, as diverse as they are and the people that are there and the, the places that he's visiting, each place has converts. It has people that believe in every single place. And each place also has in common that there is some resistance to what Paul is preaching. And that's the next thing is that Jesus foretold not only that his word would be preached to all nations and that some of those would believe, but that his word would be resisted. And we see this resistance in the persecution of the disciples. Look how Jesus predicts this. So early in his ministry, he talks about this. Because there had already been persecutions. Persecutions of the prophets that were before him. Persecutions of the people of God in general. And here Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There will be persecution, and on this point there can be no doubt. He prepared his disciples for this. In Matthew chapter 10, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. <laughs> So you're going to have to be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. So there will be persecution and there will be supernatural resistance to the gospel. In the uh, parable of the sower, if we go back there, hear the parable of the sower. One of the soils, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. The evil one is resisting the spread 
of the gospel. The primary vocation of the church is being resisted by Satan and many different kinds of principalities and powers and authorities and things that are fallen like Satan and that are resisting this work of the gospel. This is why Paul says in the book of Ephesians, you have to put on the whole armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is another subject of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, that we would be kept from the evil one. And this is powerfully important that we see this wonderful truth. And he says um, in verse 15 there, do not take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. There is supernatural resistance. In Revelation chapter 12, there's a parable of a dragon uh, chasing the woman and her offspring. And of course, it speaks of Satan himself and his persecution of Israel and his subsequent persecution of and an attempted murder of Christ and then his church. And here's what it says in verse 17 of Revelation 12. The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Those are the saints on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And so this is a supernatural resistance coming against the people of God. Um, Very powerful truths, very important for us to understand is that this word is resisted. Why must we understand it? So we will not be surprised when it happens, but rather will actually be encouraged Because some of this is going to take human form. There's going to be spiritual resistance. There's going to be human resistance. And here's what Jesus says about this human resistance. He said, I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. This was Saul of Tarsus, who we know as Paul in this part of the book of Acts. He was persecuting the church, thinking that he was doing God a favor. And they will do these things in verse 3 because they have not known the Father nor me, but I have said, pay attention to this, I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So the persecution actually becomes an encouragement, a strange kind of encouragement because it confirms what our Savior said in, in John sixteen four and other places that there will be persecution. Now, the New Testament also teaches us not only will there be human resistance, human persecution to these things, but we have to be clear, and Peter in 1 Peter covers this really the best and most thorough treatment of it, that persecution should not erupt against us because of our bad behavior. If we're persecuted for doing what's right, that's okay, but let's not be persecuted for doing what's wrong. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He wants us to keep our behavior right. And I have you ever met someone that, that seems to argue Christ and, and, and bring forth the gospel in such a way as almost inviting a fight. 
That is not the attitude with which we bring the gospel. We bring the gospel in hopes that someone would be saved. We bring the gospel as, as a plea for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ and so be saved. Look how else, what else Peter says here in his letter. He says, it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than doing evil. And he says in chapter 4 here, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And so let us be sure to be uh, blameless before the non-believers. Let us take this as Peter says, let us give a defense of the faith in gentleness and respect. So his word is resisted. True persecution, of course, comes from the evil one and all of those who oppose the light. As long as we are in the world, there will be persecutions. And here's the point I really want to make. This is all just like Jesus said. Jesus said all the scriptures point to him. And sure enough, when we use the scriptures to go out and preach the truth, people end up finding him and believing. And it's just like he said, his word will be preached to all the nations and that it will bring a great many to faith. There will be good soil everywhere we go. Now there'll be all the other kinds of soils and there'll be persecutions and things along with it. But nevertheless, this word will accomplish that for which God has sent it. His word is being resisted. And even that is an encouragement to the people of God for Jesus said it would be so. All these things are going exactly according to plan. And that's exciting because it means that it's still working. Because everywhere and all the time people are coming to faith and people are resisting the faith. And all throughout history, we can find this happening. And all throughout the world today, as diverse as the nations are that are receiving the gospel, and as different as their governing authorities are and their traditions and the opposing religions, as diverse as all these things are, these two things keep going. The word keeps bringing people to faith and people keep resisting the word. Jesus and indeed all of the scriptures pointed these things out perfectly. But there's some other things, and there's another application here that makes this very, very exciting. Because I, I want you to first of all understand this, that regardless of the circumstances, we have the authority to continue our work under any circumstances. We saw this in the book of Acts as Peter and John stood up to the very same people that had crucified Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And in the very next chapter, a uh, short time later, they're called in again. And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Where did they get this notion to do this? I mean, are they have they gone off the rails here? No, they got the idea from Jesus when Jesus commissioned us and them Jesus came and said, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He's deputizing them into the very same work that he was doing. And he's saying, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you see how this has a ring of a formal ceremony of, of deputizing somebody into a special thing? Because you're first of all appealing to the authority that grants the command. It's as if they're being given papers to go and do a warrant to, to spread the gospel to all of the world under the highest authority. And the authority of the United States of America, the authority of the, the Russian government, of the Chinese government, of the British government. No authority in heaven and on earth is higher. And so we have this ultimate authority to go and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's a tremendous promise and a reminder to us that we can go with the commission of Christ and the permission of Christ to go and preach the gospel unto all nations at all times. We are free to do so, and in fact, we are commanded to do so. Another great and important thing is a reminder here in John chapter 16. You'll notice I went to this passage in John chapters 14 through 17 quite a number of times. That's because in those passages, he was preparing his disciples for his absence, not only his short-term absence while he was in the grave, but his long-term absence after he would ascend to heaven and they would receive the Holy Spirit and have to live here and continue the work without him. And he says this after he tells them about the persecution they're going to suffer and everything else. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He began this, or said a couple times during the early parts of this discourse to them on this night. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. And he concludes with this, take heart, I've overcome the world. This is the wonderful message of Jesus Christ, that he has overcome these things. And in all these things and in all difficulties, Paul says it like this, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In 1 John, John says these things. He says, you are from God and have overcome them. That is the false teachers, those who resist. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, is something interesting. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, and I also, <clears throat> as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This is the promise that we who overcome, who face the resistance, who continue to preach the gospel despite the difficulties and continue to bring in a harvest for the Lord Jesus Christ, that we indeed will be with him and seated upon a throne. Things will be made right. And in fact, if you read the seven letters to the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, each one ends with a promise to him who overcomes or to him who conquers. We are a conquering force. We are not to be stepped on. And sometimes it looks like the church is being trampled. And sometimes it looks like the church is losing. But we have to understand that this is Jesus Christ conquering the world. 
because from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, he is taking people for himself. He is converting them from devoted to the world and devoted to the prince of this world to being devoted to him. As a matter of fact, if you survey history and you look at all the great conquerors of, of the various ages, if you look at Attila the Hun and you look at Napoleon and you look at the, the Russians and you look at, uh, you know, Adolf Hitler and, and anyone in all of history who's ever attempted to conquer anything, Jesus Christ has conquered more. He has conquered more than any one of those rulers, and he has conquered them not with bombs and missiles and swords and, and fighting, but he has conquered them with the sword of his mouth, the word of God. And he is still conquering people with the word of God. He continues to push forward and win souls to be saved. So let not your hearts be troubled. Understand, Jesus foretold the difficulties, but he also foretold the victory. He also foretold that these things indeed would be overcome. They have conquered by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, it says in Revelation chapter 12, of those who are in heaven. Uh, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Just as certain as Jesus has fulfilled what he promised, that this word would go out, that it would accomplish certain things, that people would come to faith, but that it would be resisted, as certain as we see that every day, Jesus has also declared that he will return to judge the world in righteousness. We see this as also a theme of the preaching in the book of Acts, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Look how Paul argues it in Acts chapter 17. Just a little further as he goes into Athens, he says, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. It is with great certainty that we can say that he will return. And he returns, as he said, like a thief in the night. He returns a day on a day in which no one knows. And so we are to be found the faithful servants working. Working at what? Working at spreading the gospel of truth with the confidence that it will have success and the knowledge that it will be resisted. But we have overcome in Jesus Christ, anything this world can throw at us. So be encouraged and understand the goodness of God to do this. But also be challenged, be challenged to understand that there is a day appointed, and we know not when that day is, that God will judge the living and the dead for all that they have done. And the only way to get through that judgment is to be written in the Lamb's book of life by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting in him alone for your salvation. So repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ because as certain as for 2,000 years this gospel has been going into the world and has been resisted and has been saving people, as certain as those facts are, is the certainty that he will return and accomplish all that he has said. 
So now is the day of salvation. Grab hold of Jesus Christ. Search the scriptures to see if these things are true. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this good news and we thank you for the opportunity to know you, to respond, to believe. Lord, I pray this day that you'll be known and glorified through the testimony of your saints. As the word goes out, continue to save souls. And even, Lord, I pray that this word, as it goes out, would find good soil, that many would repent and trust and know you. And I pray, Lord, that you will do wondrous things in their lives, that you will show them your goodness, and that indeed you will make disciple-making disciples. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that's been helpful to you and I encourage you to contact us with any kind of uh, any kind of questions, comments, concerns that you might have. You can reach us here at whitesrun.org. You can find out more about us or you can email me at whitesrunbaptist at gmail.com. I answer those personally, and I'm willing to entertain any kind of question or objection or even an argument that you might have. And so I, I ask you and encourage you to reach out and let us know what you're thinking and let us help you discern through the scriptures uh, what indeed is true. We thank you. God bless you. <music>